Well, uh, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Huge welcome to you if you're online with us as well this morning, as well as on site and in the room. It's lovely to have you here. Uh, My name's Chris. I'm the senior minister at ABC. If we've not met before, then it's great to see you and great to have you here with us. We are in the third and final part of a series called Soundtrack for the Soul today, where we've been talking about this thing called worship and why it's so important in church and actually why it's so important in all of our lives. So I'm going to come on and uh, talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, I'm not very musical. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I learned to play the violin. Well, I tried to learn to play the violin is probably a better way to to put it. I think my family thought it'd be a good idea if I learned a musical instrument. I wasn't very good at practicing and uh, my violining was not good at all. And uh, it never really got much better from when I started it, to be honest. Now, we have uh, amazing musicians in our church here, one of whom is the lovely Julia, who plays the violin so brilliantly, brilliantly well. I promise you, my violin playing was nothing like that at all. And uh, in those days, I think this is still true today, you know, you can take like these music grading exams, like some of uh, my kids have done this as they've kind of grown and uh, learned musical instruments themselves, and they're way better than I am, by the way, at all of that. But in my day, when you took a grading, you had to get 100 out of 150 to pass. I don't know whether that's still what you have to do today, but you had to get 100 out of 150. And um, my mum was so determined, at the very least, that I was going to get grade one violin. If it killed her and it killed me, I was going to get it. That it was really touch and go. So she got me extra tuition, one-to-one. This is only grade one violin, but extra tuition to get me through this, right? And I got, wait for it, 101 out of 150 to pass my grade one violin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud. Very proud, as you can tell, by one mark. And that was the end of my violining career. No more grades ensued uh, after that. So I was not very good. I suspect the examiners either felt sorry for me or sorry for my poor mother and passed me come what may. So uh, I'm not very good at singing either. Although when I went to secondary school and I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, I did sing in the choir at my secondary school. And the highlight of my singing career was singing soprano, which I could do then, singing soprano in the school choir for uh, the Hallelujah chorus in Handel's Messiah. This was the peak of my singing career. My parents came to watch the concert. They listened to me singing soprano in the midst of this choir with tears of joy in their eyes. And then my voice broke. And when they heard me singing again, there were tears in their eyes for whole different kinds of reasons. And I can't really sing very well, but that was the the peak of my uh, musical singing career. So I'm not terribly musical. I, I, I can't play a musical. So it's one of those things I'd love to be able to do. I've just never really been able to take to it. And I'm in awe of those people who can and very jealous of their amazing gifts. But while I'm not musical and I can't really sing very well and I certainly can't play the violin, I, I do love music and I love listening to all different kinds of music. And we've been talking through this series about how music stirs something in us. It stirs the very soul as it reminds us of great memories as we listen to bits of music or it does something in us when we hear a great piece of music being played or a great song being sung how it might even inspire us to action 
And uh, we've been saying throughout this series that that's one of the reasons why we use music so much in church. And if, if you are new to church or you've ever wondered why do they sing so much in church, then I, I'm kind of hoping this series will be answering some of those questions. Or if you've wondered, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and, and you kind of think, I, I really I can't remember why it is that we sing other than it seems like a good thing to do. We, we've been talking about throughout that, that, that throughout this series and we've been talking particularly about worship, this thing we call worship, which isn't just about music and about singing, but uh, when we're together corporately as a church community, either on-site or online, we do use music a lot in our worship. And we said that throughout this series that worship is to give worth or value to something, And we said that, actually, do you know what? We all do this, regardless of our faith, regardless of our worldview, we all give worth and value to something, some things, or to someone. We all do this, whether we're Christians or not, whether we're people of faith or not. And if you want to know what it is that you're giving worth or value to in your life, you simply have to follow the trail of your time, your energy, your money, your resources, your passions, your enthusiasm, and at the end of that trail, you find what you're giving worth or value to, what you are worshipping. And we've been trying to say in this series, is what is at the end of that trail, is that worthy of those investments of your time and your energy and your resources and your money and your enthusiasm? Because those things are um, precious commodities and they have a limit to them. So we want to be investing them, don't we, in the right things, in the things that are worthy of that. And we've been saying, as I'm sure you'd expect us to, Uh, Being a church and all, we've been saying that we think God is worthy of that precious investment of our worship, of our time and our energy and our resources and our passions. And through this series, we've been saying that when we worship God, and we can do that in all sorts of different ways, but when we do it in our sung worship, which is what we do when we're together so often, that it can do some things It reminds us of who or what is a priority in our lives, and it reminds us that God longs to be a priority in our lives. Number two, we've been saying it it draws us close to God when we worship him, and when we worship him together, it draws us close to God. And today, in the final part of the series, I'm talking about how when we worship, it advances something. We take ground. The kingdom of God advances when we worship and how our song worship helps, uh, helps us with that. And I'll try and explain how that works in just a moment. So if you're not a church person, our hope is in this series that you'll understand why we do the things that we do, why we talk about worship, why it's important, why we sing when we're together. And we want to encourage you, if you're exploring faith, it's so great to have you with us. We want to be a church community where you feel welcome and at home. But we also want to encourage you to be a part of our worship, our singing Because actually we think that will help you in your exploration of faith. And if you are a Christian or a church person, then our hope and prayer is that this series will inspire you with why what we do is so important. Whether it's on-site or online, why our sung worship together is so important. Because sung worship takes ground as it advances God's kingdom, as it inspires us and encourages us to action. Now help explain all of this. I want to tell a story from the Old Testament part of the Bible about a battle and about a king. 
And the Old Testament is full of these great battle stories because it was a violent time. Uh, People uh, and tribes and communities and nations were trying to establish themselves. They often attacked one another. And so it was a, a time where battles were reasonably common. And uh, we want to tell a story today about, well, it doesn't actually turn into a battle in the end, as you'll see, but it it has a lot to do with that. And uh, it comes from a time of the the history of the people of God, the people of Israel, where actually Israel was divided into two kingdoms, uh, Judah and Israel. And the kingdom of Judah was being led at the time we're talking about today by a king called Jehoshaphat. And his people, the people of Judah, were under threat. And we're going to read a story from uh, one of the books of the Bible called Two Chronicles, which is a history, really, an account of the story of the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of Judah. And we're going to look at Two Chronicles, chapter 20, starting at verse 1, and read uh, a number of verses from this story. So imagine yourselves, you're, uh, the, the people of Judah, you're Jehoshaphat the king, and uh, a vast army is coming against you. So it says this, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mayanites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. So three surrounding tribes have got together and have put together an army and they're coming together against the people of Judah. And we're told here that it is a vast army, which is the author's way of saying, like, way more than us. Like, they're going to outnumber us by a huge amount. So this vast army is coming against us, and it is scary. And they had advanced so far already that they were only 25 miles. En Gedi is 25 miles from Jerusalem, the heart, the capital of the people of Judah. So they are really close by. So this vast army is coming, this overwhelmingly numerical superior group are coming and they're not very far away. Alarmed, understandably, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So the people gather together to seek help from God, to pray. Now, I suspect many of us would resonate with this. How many times have we been faced with something in our lives that feels scary and overwhelming and that we've prayed this kind of prayer? Oh, God, help us. Oh, God, help me. Like, even if you're not a person of faith, I suspect you might have prayed that kind of prayer when things have felt overwhelming. We know that loads and loads of people do that, even if they wouldn't say they were Christians. 60 to 70% of people in this country, in the UK, say that they have prayed, particularly at a moment of crisis in their lives. Oh God, help us. And that's basically what's going on here. The people get together, they go, oh God, help us. We're about to be overrun and overwhelmed. But it's also interesting to note that Jehoshaphat has called the people together to seek God. And this is a change because Jehoshaphat has learned a lesson Because when something not dissimilar to this happened before, Jehoshaphat went and allied himself with the wicked king of the other kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, who was led by a wicked king called Ahab at the time. And Jehoshaphat went and, and formed an alliance with him. He went in his own strength, thinking he had to figure all this all out. And in his own strength, with his own ideas, he went and allied himself to this wicked king, and it went really badly. He did not seek God. 
He went under his own power, trying to rely on his own strength. Jehoshaphat has learned his lesson. So instead, this time, he gathers the people together to seek God. And Jehoshaphat leads them in a prayer. And we're going to skip over a few verses. If you want to go and look at it, you can look at it later. But Jehoshaphat basically leads them in a prayer. And then he finishes the prayer with this couple of sentences. And I love this. He says, our God, will you not judge them? That's the enemies. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We have no way of defeating them. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great prayer that is. We don't know what to do, but what we are going to do is try and fix our eyes on you. I so resonate with this this prayer, particularly after the last two and a half years or so. Because there were so many times where we were trying to figure out what we should do in response to this pandemic and how church should be and all of that kind of stuff. Where honestly, this is what we prayed. We have no idea what to do. But Lord, we want to fix our eyes on you. Show us the next thing we're supposed to do. Just the next thing. Just the next thing. This is a great prayer. If you're facing these kind of situations in your lives right now, where it feels overwhelming, where you don't know what to do, or you've got a decision to make, and you don't know what the right thing to do is, this prayer would be a great prayer to pray. I've no idea what to do. But God, my eyes are fixed on you. I want to fix my eyes on you. And as you start to fix your eyes on God, then just see what God will do. So that's what they do. We don't know what to do, but we're going to fix our eyes on you, God. And the story goes on. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Let's just go on to the next verse. Great. Thank you. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly. Oh, I'd like to talk to these writers sometimes and said, could you not have like shortened these names a little bit or something? So anyway, one of their number, and that's all we really need to know for this, right? One of their number has a sense that God has something to say. Whilst they're standing in the presence of God, don't know what to do, praying, our eyes are on you, Lord. God speaks through one of them. And look what he says. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. At this stage, no instructions about what to do or anything, but you've fixed your eyes on me, says God. You've sought me. You're standing in my presence. I want to start by reminding you, I am with you. And God speaks through one of their number to say, I am with you. This is my fight. The battle belongs to me. We've just sung that. The battle belongs to me, says God. And then... Having reassured them of that, God gives them some instructions. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the paths of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Stand firm, and I will be with you, says the Lord. And look what their response is 
to being in the presence of God and to hearing God speak to them, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So they respond to being in the presence of God, to hearing from God with a physical response and to a response of praise and worship. They humble themselves. And I don't want us to miss this because I think this is something really important for us as a church family and as a church community. Worship is about, about more than just what comes out of our mouths. Worship about, is about more than that. We know, don't we, all the people who speak to us uh, tell us that our body language in communication is really important. I want to I give you an illustration of this, right? So I, I'm trying to preach a sermon right now. I'm trying to encourage and inspire you. I've got a bottom line for today that I really want you to know and take home and ponder on and reflect on that I think God wants us to speak to, to you today. Here's the bottom line, and if I read it out like this, see how this goes. Sung worship takes ground as it advances God's kingdom because it inspires and encourages us to action. How does that go for you? As opposed to this. Song worship takes ground and advances God's kingdom as it inspires and encourages us to action. What's more compelling? The second one, I hope, right? Otherwise, I'll just stand here and read to you and then we'll all be fine. The second one, I think, is more compelling because now my body is involved in it. And I want to encourage us because I think this is an opportunity for us to grow as a church community in our worship. I want to encourage us to respond not just in our song worship with our singing, but with our bodies as well. Now, I'm not talking about throwing ourselves around and, you know, dancing down the aisle and doing a conga and all that kind of stuff. I mean, crack on if, you, if that's your bag. But, but I'm not really talking about... I'm just like... When we sing songs like, the battle belongs to the Lord, or with arms lifted high, then maybe we want to respond in some physical way with that. Maybe sometimes we want to tell our faces that we believe what we're coming, is coming out of our mouths, because we can kind of do this a little bit. And that sort of encourage us to grow in our physical response in our worship as well. That, yeah, I'm not talking about doing anything that's inauthentic or that just feels weird or really uncomfortable to us, but maybe an arm raised in worship. Or when we're saying, God, we want to seek your presence and know you here. Maybe stretching out our hands like that or, or a bit of this if you'd rather be a little bit less kind of on show or you know, whatever it is. But there's a physical response, I think, which is important in our worship as well. Okay, I probably said enough about that. You can tell that's something that I'm keen that we uh, grow in. Anyway, the story goes on. Early in the morning, after all of this praise and worship, they left for the desert of Tekoa. <clears throat> as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Now, they were not sure of what the outcome would be at this point, right? We have hindsight. We can read on to the end of the story and know it's all going to be okay. They had had this reassurance from God, but surely they must have still kind of, in the back of their minds, gone, oh, I really hope this is going to be okay. They may have had some doubts and questions, but they humbled themselves in the face of God and went forward with faith. This is the definition of faith. To humble yourself before God in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds, things that are humanly impossible, and to trust God is the heart of faith. 
here, Jehoshaphat says to them, have faith in your God and you will find him faithful. God is worthy of our faith. And then what happens? After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They sing. They sing, and they sing words actually that we sing sometimes in some of the songs that we use, some variations of these kind of words. And if you read on, again, we haven't got time to do that today, but if you read on in the story, the enemies of Israel are defeated. There doesn't even need a battle. God is true to his promises, and the people, uh, the enemies of the people of Judah scatter in the face of the people of Judah coming out singing and praising and worshiping God. The enemies of Israel are defeated. God's kingdom is advanced, and there is peace again. Because you see, their worship and their sung worship and their seeking of God has advanced God's kingdom, has taken ground because it's inspired and encouraged them to action. Now, what does all of this have to say to us? Well, here's some things. I don't know about you, but when God seems far off or the odds seem insurmountable or I have questions about faith or doubts about whether God is really there, I need God's help to seek him and to be encouraged. I don't know about you, but I need God's help to live the kind of life I think God wants me to live. I don't know about you, but I need God's help when life is hard. I don't know about you, but I need God to encourage me when I feel like there are enemies raging against me. I need God to inspire me when I'm discouraged. I need God's help to resist temptation and live well. And I don't know about you, but even when life is okay and things seem to be going really well, I need God's help to encourage me to live faithfully for him and with significance for his kingdom. I need God to reassure me of his presence and his power. And the people of Judah needed all of this in the face of their enemies. And I think we all need it too. And what did they do when they needed that? They came together. They sought God. They stood before him. They asked for his Holy Spirit to be with them. His presence was there. They heard God speak and they were encouraged. And they sang and they worshipped God together. And their enemies were defeated and peace came. Why do we get together like this? Why do we talk about the importance of getting together like this? Whether it's on site or online, why is it important that we are together, that we gather for exactly these reasons? Because we need what the people of Judah needed. We cut them together to seek God to stand in the presence of God, to experience and encounter God, to be filled with his spirit, to be encouraged and inspired by one another and by what we do when we're together. We come together to be lifted up, to be reminded of faith, and we come together to stand against the enemies of the world. We come together to advance God's kingdom in our lives and in our community and in our world. And singing great songs, proclaiming great truths about God in unity with one heart and with one voice enables that to happen. That's why our song worship is so important. That's why coming together is so important. This is not a club meeting. This is not a social get-together. Meeting together is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something we do if we feel like it. It's not something we can decide not to do if the sun is shining or the car boot sale is happening or we've received a better offer. We need to show up. I need you to show up. I need you to post words of encouragement in the live chat if you're showing up online. I need you to come and sing and to encourage and inspire me with songs of who God is and what God has done. And you need me. 
You need me to show up and sing, to encourage and lift you. Because our song worship together takes ground as it advances God's kingdom because it inspires and encourages us. And it inspires and encourages us to action. And our song worship must lead to action. It must change things. It must change us. It must renew our resolve and our passion for God. Because it can't just end with singing. It didn't just end for the people of Judah with singing. They had to go out and stand firm and act. It's not just enough to sing. But our singing should inspire and encourage us to action. To live lives that are sold out for God. The God who we have just proclaimed in song. To help those who don't know or understand who God is and just how amazing he is. To be able to find him. To respond to the great God we sing about by giving our lives in sacrificial service. Song worship has to lead to action. And our challenge now as we finish this series is not just to understand why we sing, but to do it. To do it. To make it a priority. And that when we're together and we're singing, to sing worship to God with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength. So that we inspire and encourage one another. We need to respond together to God in our song worship, to lift up our voices and uh, use our bodies to worship God, to lift up our hands and our arms raised high in worship as well as our voices, to engage and connect with one another and with God. And I want to encourage you to do that online as well as on site, to offer God a sacrifice of praise and to worship God in spirit and in truth, because those are the worshippers that God seeks. And when God finds those kind of worshippers, he blesses them with his presence and he uses us to change the world, to advance his kingdom as we're inspired and encouraged to action. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful and grateful to you for this amazing gift that you have given us of music that, that can do things and change us, inspire us and encourage us. We're so grateful to you for this gift you've given to us of sung worship. And Lord God, we pray and ask that you would help us as a church to continue to push in to what we do when we sing together. Whether we're all in one place or whether we're scattered in multiple places all over the world even. We're still worshipping you together. So Lord, help us to grow as a church in this area help us to be drawn closer to you as we worship and to be inspired encouraged to action we pray in jesus name amen